This is Andy. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast on which we watch very special episodes from the past to see what they have to teach us today. Yep. Today we are watching an episode of Family Matters. This is season six, episode 15. The title is The Gun. You can watch the entire series on Hulu. This premiered February 10th, 1995, and the writers are Joseph Svar and Gary Mintier, which makes this entire episode a meeting with the Mintier. When are you going to make the joke, though? What? Kind of uh, oh, we need derailed a pit, my lead up. We need a pit bull horn. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of um, the men, men tier, uh, let's get to a you wrote what? Do it. Gary Mentier, the, 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 the self-same, uh, wrote a potential upcoming episode just based on the description. I feel like we might have to do this episode. Mm. It is Punky Brewster episode, This Spud's For You. A fellow classmate, Spud, threatens to jump off a building if Punky won't go to the Sadie Hawkins dance with him. Holy shit, are they still like seven? <laughs> I don't know. Punky Brewster doesn't go to high school. The show is only on for like three seasons. I don't know what to tell you, but but there is a amazing... So emotional the, terrorism. Here's the picture from the episode. is just some kid on a ledge. Oh my God. Yeah, so we'll look into that and maybe do that. I'll watch as many Punky Brewster episodes as I can get. But that's been Euro One. Yeah, before we talk about uh, this episode of Family Matters, let's talk about today's snack. Yeah, we are continuing our... World tour of Crapsylvania <laughs> <laughs> with more sugar-free snacks. Uh, this time uh, for the Levi Petrie Memorial Snack Time Hour, except he's still alive and probably disappointed in this turn of events, is Kind Whole Fruit. That's the entire name of this fucking snack. They are little fruit bars. Uh, they claim to have only four ingredients, one apple, six strawberries, four cherries, and chia seeds per bar. Let's try it out. Yep. Here's my first question. Why did we both feel obligated to eat the whole thing? We don't know. I don't either, but I was like, I can't just sit this down. I guess because it's health food? I guess. Well, we got a lot going for us, according to the box. Two servings of fruit, gluten-free, good source of fiber, some protein in there, no sugar added, although there are 19 grams of sugar, which... I mean, that's just fruit for you. A lot of sugar and fruit. But we also have a, um, a note... Uh-oh. I feel like with the health food, we're going to encounter a lot of these notes. They're, they're pleads. They're <laughs> begging you, I know this is healthy. Please buy this anyway. We choose healthy and tasty, convenient and wholesome, economically sustainable and socially impactful. Blah, 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 blah. Kind is not just a brand, but also a state of mind in a community to make the world a little kinder. Kindly yours, kind founder, Daniel Lubetsky. Well, methinks thou dost protest too much. What did you think of it? It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's like somebody put a fruit roll up into a machine that takes all the fun out of stuff. But also, like, it's got seeds in it. So now I have strawberry seeds in my teeth, even though I didn't eat strawberries, which yeah. annoys me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Or maybe it's the chia seeds, which I don't understand. When I we lived in New York, I attempt at this hedge fund for a while. And one of my jobs was to bring everybody their lunches. Mm-hmm. And this one woman ate chia pudding every day for lunch, which just looks like snot. Like, I can't get around the texture of that. All right. Well, what are we going to grade them? I don't, I don't know. It was fine. There's nothing wrong with it. B. I, s- I was going to say C. C plus. All right. C plus. Yay. Wow. This is really the fucking snack times in a shitter since my, my, <laughs> my healthy choices took over. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to do better next time. Okay. That's fair. So let's talk about a goddamn episode of television. All right. Family matters. We've talked about a lot, so let's just breeze through the ordinary world. In an ordinary world. Yeah, you right. can't look annoyed at that. You can't. You can't. I'm sorry. I didn't make them. You, Family. You married them, though. <laughs> I did marry them. 
Family Matters ran for nine seasons, 215 episodes, from 1989 to 1998 on ABC for the first seven seasons and CBS for the last two seasons. It follows the adventures of a middle-class black family in Chicago and their now-live-in neighbor, Steve Urkel. Yeah, JK, it follows the adventures of Urkel and if there's a time, a living <laughs> right. family. We've discussed how completely off the rails the show gets in later seasons, but right now it's still somewhat grounded in reality here uh, in Untrue. Season six. This season starts out with Stephen Urkel using his chamber to become Stefan Urkel all oh. the time. We're already there. We're already there. We only well, have two more seasons why, left. Okay, I guess we are in episode 15. But well, where, but six. where is Urkel? If he, he's not gonna show up. I, I know. He's not gonna show There's up for no the logic. fucking gun episode. Can I say he though? Should have. But a bit of a tangent. But can I just say that since the advent of the Mandalorian, I finally understand what it's like to be Urkel drunk, because I am Baby, Baby Yoda, Yoda drunk. drunk. I'm telling you. Every time Baby Yoda's on screen, I'm just making squealing noises. Same. He doesn't ever say anything. Uh-uh. He barely does anything. Yep. But every time I see his wrinkly little head, I'm just That's like fucking Whoops. great. Yeah, same, yeah. exactly the same. They have, they have made the perfect thing, mm-hmm. the most adorable thing ever is yep. Baby Yoda. Yep. Go check it out if you haven't seen the Mandalorian. I Captain Corelli is Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, so here we are in the ordinary world. Jesus Christ, this in an ordinary world. Yep, I feel like we already did that. So, <laughs> right. um, um, yeah, Carl fine. comes home from the wars. <laughs> The wars! <laughs> yeah, little does he know the true battle has just begun. Look, I hate this cold open. It's the worst There's cold open! I wrote this is one of the worst cold opens we've ever watched. Well, I figured we were going to be at odds about this because I just don't... Here, here's, here's what you need to know about me. First of all, I'm a social chameleon. Number two... <laughs> Have I explained that to you? The, Social what? chameleon thing? <laughs> I worked with this one. All right. I used to work in the state building right before we met. Uh-huh. I worked in the uh, license register office, which is as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> in the same building? In Just the Thompson Center? One floor down. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a room where they kept all of the cosmetologist licenses. Okay. Nail salons, hair sure. salons, etc. I worked there with two other people, um, the woman who was in charge and a dude and... He was definitely, as far as I can tell, not very into her, and she was way into him. Oh, no. So I would I would be walking around putting licenses away or fetching licenses, and I would often go by them, you know, lightly flirting. And then one time I was just walking by, and I caught this snippet of a conversation that she said in all earnestness, uh, all earnestness, one thing you need to know about me. I'm a social chameleon. <laughs> and I don't know why it stuck with me this entire time, but every time I say, here's what you need to know about me, I'm a social chameleon comes to mind. I, if I don't say it out loud, I say it in my head. So nice. if I'm ever like, here's what you need to know about me. I'm a social chameleon. I'm saying it right now. <laughs> so here's the thing you need to know about me. Number one, I'm a social chameleon. Number, Number two, two hate magic. I don't really care for it. I certainly, it's like being... Sung to. Uh huh. It's you don't know where to look. I don't know where to look. I don't want that. I don't want that responsibility for making you feel yeah. good about the thing that you're doing. Oh, I see. I see. Like there is some magic. That's why like magic's fine as long as I'm far away from it. Sure. As long as there's enough of us that you can't see me or I like I don't need to if I don't need to do anything great. But this is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So what's S- happening? Yeah. We haven't actually divulged Steve Urkel. Is practicing a magic act. He's he's been waiting for Carl to come home so Carl can be his witness slash volunteer for this magic act. Carl comes home and he is from a tough day of work. He puts down his police duffel bag. <laughs> sure. uh-huh. What a weird thing. He walks in. There's a stand set up with a red curtain on it that says the amazing Urkel, and fucking Carl, as as though he were me, turns to run. Yeah. He is like. Fuck this. And starts to leave. Like, these are all the warning signs you need. It's even painted red, like a red flag should be. Uh, And then then Urkel enters, dressed as a magician, wearing a tuxedo with a cummerbund and suspenders, which is... Pretty amazing. Um, and Wait, what does Carl call him? I didn't write any of this down because fuck this cold open. But doesn't he like call him like a vampire or something like that? He's this, is, what is this interview with the nerdy vampire? This is the third or fourth time 
the word nerd is going to be awkwardly shoehorned. Only one time that made me laugh into this episode, (laughs) and it ain't this time. (laughs) Nerdy vampire. He's just nothing else. You just shoehorn the word nerd in there. You know, you know what a good insult would be. Nerd pyre. Nope. You look like a magician. I don't know if this bears saying on the podcast, but we are of two minds about this because I love yeah, magic. I go to absolutely. magic shows all the time. You love close-up magic, too, which I would do. be like, ugh. I do. Ugh. Um, maybe we'll do an episode about magic. I want I want faraway magic. <laughs> yes, I want way faraway magic. I mm. want Vegas magic where I'm in way in the back. I want Vegas magic where I'm still in my house. <laughs> And the magic is happening in Vegas, and I know where the magic is contained, so I will not accidentally run into it. The long and the short of this stupid thing is that Steve Urkel does a trick which is tedious in the extreme. Lord. And ends with Carl holding a white dove on his finger and putting a hat full of milk back on his head, because the hat's supposed to be empty, but of course Steve Urkel can't do anything right, so he screws up the trick. And it's easily one of the dumbest cold opens we have ever seen. Yeah. It has zero to do with the episode, uh-huh. as they always do on the show. Waste but, of goddamn time. But the Reginald Vell Johnson reaction shots... Oh, sure. ...are priceless. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, I can really... He is my window character. I'm like, yeah, I feel you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks murderous. Here's the thing. And I feel murderous. I understand what the, the nature of this episode is. But you do have a gun, Carl. <laughs> You could end this at no. any time. No, no. I'm just saying then maybe the episode could be about why Carl shouldn't have shot Steve Urkel a mm-hmm. bunch of times. Yeah. But, you know, also him getting off you know, because nobody would convict you for that. True. That's the theme song. It's a rare condition. There it is. There it is. Um, yeah, so we get a uh, another one of our, our staple favorites uh, is the oh, hello there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Which are you nice. doing here? Gracious me, I'm just here on my tricycle and, oh, what's this, a camera? <laughs> yeah. Theme song. Everybody looking into the fucking camera and uh, being introduced. And also, like, crane shots of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Just uh, what what I would now, I, I, I have to resist the urge to call everything drone videos. Yeah. Because everything looks like a drone video to me now. Well, I think a lot when of these I'm like are, way 20, 30 years before drones existed. I would say helicopter shot more right. than anything. Um, and fictitiously, the uh, grandmother is still being introduced, even though she, her appearance amounts to a picture. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. a single picture. So we're done with the cold open, and thank God, uh, we get into Act One. Yeah, which, we cut to. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's it's we we cut to uh, a, a location I've never seen before. Vanderbilt High School. Vanderbilt High School. You well remember in Chicago when we went to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. High School. Yes, you know. Uh, we are, I guess, supposed to believe it's like not not a very good school in terms of resources. Looks great. It looks shabby. No, the doors are very like. Oh, are they? Paints peeling. It looks uh, kind it all of shabby. looks so fake that I was like, all right, whatever. Um, and Laura converses with her two best girlfriends, Cherry from Punky Brewster and Angela from Boy Meets World. It was Angela from Boy Meets World. All right. I don't understand what we're doing here until later. Like, at first, it's such a... They come in with, like, strong characteristics in such a way that I'm like, are you trying to introduce characters into Family Matters? Right. Because, no. Because you can't... We What are you going to do? Are Take, they in any other episodes? No. Uh, cool. Well, I think the the uh, Cherry Cherry Johnson is. Is it really Cherry Johnson? Yeah. Okay. Cherry Johnson is uh, as Waldo's uh, girlfriend, girlfriend. Uh, but uh, Trina McGee <laughs> is only in this one episode. Yeah. Great. And I'm like, what are you trying to introduce more characters? You can't do that. This is the Steve Urkel show. Solidly, the right. Steve Urkel Season show. Season six Urkel show. And y'all ain't charming enough. And if you come at he the is going to play four different characters miss. in one episode before this is over, yeah. rather than introduce new characters. Yeah, they're going to go to pirate times. <laughs> you know, rather than be like, hey, what if we have another wacky neighbor? No. You know what's better than introducing new characters? Introducing Jaleel White playing more characters. Absolutely. You know what's even better than that? Not magic. <laughs> so much hating on magic. Magic doesn't come back into this episode at all, by Thank the way. Thank fucking Christ. So, Wally, who is... I just called him Cherry and Angela. You are uh, incorrect about this. His name is Waldo. Waldo. Yeah. It's a correction that I've heard three times since we started this podcast and hasn't come up since. Yeah. Waldo. So just know you've been wrong this entire Sherry's time. Sherry's boyfriend. I couldn't care less about this character. Oh, wait. Is he in the party? No, fair enough. He was in the party, and that's where the mistake was made. You, we, we, called, we both called him Wally in the first uh, so episode. So Wally gets perp-walked out of that party, right? Yes, but his name is actually Waldo. Right. Waldo, 
Wally could be short for Waldo. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but now he's older. It's season six, and he's going by his full Christian name, Waldo. Waldinsky. Still an idiot. Um, he is so, still a moron, yeah. Waldo, uh, who is Cherry's boyfriend, because I'm just going to call them Cherry and Angela. That's fine. Shows up, and the two girls leave with him, and they're all going to the mall, but Laura can't go because uh, plot. Oh, so, yeah. I was like, was there a reason? No, because no. plot. So now we have the call to adventure. Yes? It's me, adventure. Alone at her car, parked roughly six inches from the door to the high school. Well, it's taking it six inches in this 10 foot by 10 foot <laughs> parking lot. Right. Laura is approached by another girl uh, who will come to know is named Tony, who says she really likes Laura's leather jacket. And I will take that from you. Hand it over. This girl is in fucking Queen Latifah from Set It Off Cosplay, and she's using the term da bomb unironically because 90s, 90s, 90s. Yeah, I was thinking it was more like a all members of TLC smashed together cosplay. Ooh, you, wrong. you are not wrong. Like a Circa Waterfalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Lisa, so, Trina left eye Lopez here. <laughs> so Lara's like, um, no, I worked hard for this jacket. Why don't you do the same? And the the girl, Tony, whistles for her all-female gang, which is comprised of two other people. Tony, Tony, Tony? Who are, no. Uh, no. And Lara is surrounded, and they physically assault her and take the jacket. Here's the, here's the thing. I don't know who made this decision, because I am not willing to look up who the director of this was. But we suddenly go into handheld mode. Right. But it's it's like handheld, but so many multiple handheld shots <laughs> that it's just, it's very jarring. And I've written here, there are more Dutch angles than a geometry class in the Netherlands. Pew, 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 pew. Pitbull, pitbull, pitbull. <laughs> so this gang roughs her up over her jacket. Again, within ear and eye shot of the front door so of the school. So close to the front door of the school. It doesn't make a lot of Five sense. Five minutes after school let out. Uh-huh. Yeah, this this place clears right the fuck out. Yep. So that's our call to adventure. So we don't quite know what journey we're going on yet. We do know that this is not, the ordinary world is not okay. She's been roughed up by this by this group of girls at school where she should feel safe. Yeah. And we go back to the Winslow residence where Laura's scrapes and bruises are being checked out by her older brother, Eddie, and her parents. We realize, or at least in retrospect, I realize that what they're setting up here is that the family is on a journey. So this isn't just Laura's journey. This is our whole family's journey of like, how do we get back to feeling safe in our community? Right. Carl is very concerned. He's a cop. uh, And (laughs) it is. Oh, yeah. Carl's a cop. Right. Just always forget because there's so much Urkel happening all the time. (laughs) Eddie's trying to make jokes, he says, to lighten the mood. Um, Mom Harriet says, thank goodness it's just a bump on the head. Carl says, in a a mantra that will be repeated later in a way that I think the writers are trying to drive this home as actual advice for dealing with violence at school. In situations like this, don't resist. Just give them what they want. There are millions of leather jackets and only one of you. So this is our, this is the sort of go-to advice from dad is like, just give them whatever they want. Which is fine. Um, Yeah. I I mean, it's not bad advice. No, it's not. But it's not going to solve the actual problem at the center of this episode. No. Also, we we find out the name of uh, the, the leader of TLC... Totally loco chicks. <laughs> Her name is Tony, and Eddie says Tony Bacopio. Right, she's got a super Italian name, and Eddie says that she is so tough she takes lunch money from the teachers. Jesus Christ! Uh, Carl, this says, is not the time to make fun jokes about the bully. It just it's such a it's such a hard right turn when you find out. Like, the meat of this episode, these aren't great. This is also, like, the joke she takes lunch money from teachers has this dark underside of, like, so no one can help you. Yeah. At school, also, no one can help yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, they're all talking about this, and then fucking Urkel. Well, before that, Carl says he'll put a bulletin out on Tony. Oh, sure. And it's like, oh, shit, I bet Tony didn't realize your dad was a cop when she yeah. decided she was going to steal your jacket. I'm almost 100% sure she didn't, because Tony seems pretty smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So cop dad to the rescue. He's like, oh, I'll just put it. We'll get her rounded up. We'll get I'll your bully call arrested. All of my police friends. Yeah. We'll get your bully arrested before night falls. Don't worry, honey. Urkel comes over. And the, maybe the only thing that made me laugh okay. in a non-ironic way sure. is he comes over bearing. He's got gifts and flowers and he walks over the couch. It's like. Oh, uh, I, I turned away as soon as it it's came a moment of physical comedy where it's like there's a horizontal line between him and the door to the kitchen when he comes in the front door. Sure. I mean, I'm sorry. 
there's a diagonal line yeah. and it bisects the couch and he just, and, and he just walks straight over it. Like it's not there. It's pretty mm. hilarious. And Jaleel White is so tall that it's just yeah. like his big gangly legs just walking across that couch. Like it's a piece of floor. It was pretty funny. Right. Um, and he's desperate to comfort Laura, who's still annoyed with him in every way at this Aren't point they, in the series. Are they dating though? No. Okay. Good. This is still the stalkery point. Uh, Jesus. And it's just that another problematic element to this episode is that when Laura's in distress, it's just more of a reason for Steven to get all up in Laura's business. I'll protect you. I'll this, I'm that. Right. I'll you never don't leave need your other side. friends. I'll never leave your side, which means I'll be in every frame of this episode. The writer's like, yes, excellent. Yes, excellent. We've done it. We've almost reached pure Urkel. (laughs) This episode is 87% Urkel pure. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So now we enter, we cross into the special world. We go back to school, but now school is not safe, which makes it different from the ordinary world. Mm -hmm. And now we begin the tests, allies, and enemies portion. So back at school the next day, we pretty much know who the enemies are. It's going to be Tony and her two friends. Mm -hmm. And the allies are going to be everybody else. So Waldo and Steve are on security detail out front. TLC, take Laura's clothes. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Yup. I'm sorry. I know you were saying something. My brain was like, hey, 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 hey. So we basically know who the enemies are going to be. It's going to be the TLC gang, take Laura's clothes. Uh And the allies are going to be everybody else. Cherry and uh, Angelie from Boy Meets World. Her parents, Eddie. Trina McGee. Trina McGee and Waldo and Steve, who are currently on security detail. Sort of. Laura rolls her eyes. They're, instead of saying thank you, she's just like, they're patrolling the parking lot, trying to get run interference between the front door of school and her car. And instead of being like, guys, I appreciate this, but you don't have to. She just fucking rolls her eyes and like acts like she's annoyed that they're there. And I want to be like, dude, you could say this is not necessary, but thank you. You could be polite. Well, here's the problem is that somehow Urkel knows that Tony Copio has been let out on bail, mm. which, you know, if you're... Yeah, she was arrested and she's been released. A crime has been committed on this campus. She has been arrested. She's been released. Like, whatever security you have at the school should be on the lookout for her. Yeah. Or yeah. something. Or Carl should be, like, coming to pick his daughter up. Or something. like. It's just weird that Urkel's like, hey, here's a wrinkle I heard in my fucking ham radio scanner. <laughs> right. You know, oh, I, I, you know, it's, but it's fine. I'm here to protect. No. This fucking, this is like a serious development. And it's something yeah. Laura doesn't know. And it actually wouldn't change things that much if her dad were there. Yeah. And he were like. Yeah, no, I know she got arrested. I know she got out, let out. So I'm, I'm gonna be here. And Laura was like, "This is not necessary." And then he got a call and had to leave or something. You know, sure. like, just yeah, it, you're totally right. I that would make a lot more sense. Is if he was like, and she's like, "You can't be here all the time." And you make right. that fucking. But that would really hit home at the the end of the episode too. Yeah, oh, we're so good at writing. <laughs> <laughs> but we do not have like we're not sitting in a writer's room where I'm sure there's a full. Full wall is how much more Urkel, Urkel could this get? Yeah. Could we make could we make this scene with Carl a scene with Urkel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Well, could we make the scene with Urkel the scene with another Urkel? Totally. Oh my gosh! We just what need about a machine that makes more, more Urkels? Oh my gosh! Well, yeah, let's just do that. You just got a race. He's a nerd, right? Surely he can just invent that. Yeah. Um. So Laura is like, this can't happen. This can't go on every day. Steve assaults a kid who's just trying to get to Latin class. Uh, you know this kid. Is played by Thudbutt from Hook. <gasps> You're right. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Which is a great little scene, but it's just so... Like, this kid does a good job, but unless you are amped up to 1,000, you're going to get outshone by Urkel, who is right. Who's, in his element. Know, spouting Latin, trying to test if this kid's actually going to Latin class or whatever. Yeah. It's also like, dude, you know who the enemies are. It's the three girls we saw in the last scene. Yeah. There's no point in frisking this kid who's just trying to get to Latin class. You know he's not involved. Yeah. He's probably... Latin King's class? Uh Uh-oh. Miles, you make a good point. (laughs) 
Um, we can already tell, though, like in terms of what you talk about in sitcom structure, where there's a problem, we're going to test a solution. It's going to fail. The mm-hmm. first test is going to fail. We already tell this can tell that this is no way to live. Being suspicious of everyone, jumping at every tiny thing, this is not going to work as a long-term strategy. Being stalked strategy. by Steve Urkel is no way to live. <laughs> right. Um, and as if to prove that point, Tony and her two girls show up and intimidate Laura. And even though Steve is there, it doesn't help because they're just trading words back and forth, making fun of how nerdy Steve this is, is, of this course. This is the one line that, that works out. One of the girls is like, he's like, uh, oh, I'm going to watch out or I'll hit you with my fists of fury. And one of them's like, Arnold Schwartz and nerdy over here. And I was like, good one. Good one. Sweet. Yeah, that girl is wearing her hair, half of her hair in a super high ponytail. For real. And a very large cross necklace. Oh, I didn't notice that. And I want to be like, you can either hang with Jesus or you can steal people's clothes. Yeah. But you cannot do both. Can't do both. You have to make a choice between your accessories and thug life, apparently. Yeah. Like, come on. So she, uh, it's all words until Tony flashes a whole gun. She's got a whole Fucking gun! She pulls a gun. She doesn't point it at Laura, but she holds it. She pulls it. it all the way out. She pulls it all the way out of her waistband, which is not. I feel like the cool move is just to like flick your jacket back. You just gotta show that show you got the, the handle. Just gotta show the no. handle. That's no, 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 no. She pulls the whole gun all the way out, so there's no. The audience can have no misconceptions. Shows her both sides of the gun, yes. so it's like this is not a piece of cardboard. This went to a hundred so fast. <laughs> was, I have just written here. Oh shit! Tony Bacomio got a gun. <laughs> Before Laura was like annoyed, scared, but now I'm for real scared. It's like, this is, it's like, come on, episode, cool out, man. And then almost the next thing that happens, the very next thing that happens is that it's it's another day. It's the next day. She meets up with Cherry and Angela again and turns out Angela has a gun. Trina McGee's got a gun. (laughs) It is though, like the whole world is made of guns all of a sudden. And Trina McGee says, if you had one of these, you'd still have your jacket, which I'm like, victim blaming much? Again, Come on. Trina McGee also pulls the gun all the way out. All the way out. What are you of, doing? I think she's wearing like athletic pants. Like she's wearing like shouldn't, sweatpants. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. <laughs> it's like, it shouldn't is that work. in your elastic waistband? Uh, it might be tucked into your undies there. That, that's going to fall and shoot you in the foot. Yeah. Is what's or about to happen. best case, you're going to fucking pull a joker where it just flops out onto the floor. <laughs> In the middle of you dancing around for some children. You didn't see Joker. No. I know. Uh, yeah, so now we're, we're in Act 2. No, this is my favorite part. Yeah, we're in Act 2, and this is where we find a Trina McGee who has some new kicks and an old gun. Yeah, she's like, and Laura's like, aren't you afraid someone's going to rip you off? And she's like, no, I'll protect my shoes with this gun. And I'm just like, oh. This gun. gun. Here, look at all of it. My cute gun. This is my favorite part of this episode. A short man in a very, very big leather jacket named Bobby approaches Steve and Laura and he's like, word on the street is that Tony and the girls are coming down on you. You won't be safe unless you're packing. And this is how we find out this is Bobby, the high school arms dealer. He is the gun salesman of Vanderbilt High School. What in the, this is like a fucking fever dream. It's hard to take it seriously when it's like, it's as though somebody... Like somebody said the word gun three times and Beetlejuice style guns have come to life. He takes them to the trunk of his car, which is, again, six inches from the front door of the school. Yeah. And it's full of guns. Yeah. He pops the trunk open and and I wrote, look, look, look on three separate lines because I was just like, what am I seeing? Surely. I know we talk about like a lot of TV shows give us a very sanitized version of high yeah. school, right? But surely this is insane, right? Yeah. Like a kid drives to school and casually deals arms out of his car two feet from the school entrance. I, I get that you're very proud of your outside Vanderbilt high school set. <laughs> I <laughs> understand God. that. But maybe make yourself a on the other side of the parking lot set. Right, like the far away from the school. I mean, the odds that someone's going to... Wha- the trunk is popped open and it's full of guns. Yeah. The odds that someone's going to walk by are very good. 100% as this is the entrance and exit to the school. And he Wars. also tells us that he's, he's running guns to earn money for law school. Yeah. Okay, fine. What a fun joke that is. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura's kind of into it. And he's like, would you like to hold the gun? She's like, sure. Yeah. I mean, she's scared, clearly. And she knows that Steve's not going to be able to help her. And she can't. Yeah, her dad can't be around all the time. 
doing cop stuff. And she <laughs> says, Steve is incensed, by the way. He's like, no way are you going to carry a gun. But Laura actually is holding one. She takes a small one and she's like, yeah. how much is this? And it reminded me. I was really curious to find out how much that was. Yeah, right. I was like, what are they going to say? I was going to look up how much that is in today's is this dollars. Is the black market? Or... Also, this reminded me just, I weirdly had a small flashback of, um, so I went to high school in, you know, Bogalusa. Mm-hmm. And during hunting season, oh, sure. people would get up and go hunting and then come to school yeah. with their guns on their gun racks on the back of their trucks. Sure. So the school parking lot on any, any given morning was full of guns. Yeah. And after Columbine happened, I remember an announcement over the PA system that was yeah. like, you can't bring your guns to school anymore. You have to go drop your guns off at home before you come to school now because of what these kids did in different parts. And I remember everybody being like, oh, man, but we didn't do it. We have to stop bringing our guns to school. What? Which, looking back on it now, I'm like, that's insane. It's like calling the the airport and saying, "Can you, you know, leave a message?" Yeah, I'm gonna leave a message for Dick. I don't have a, a, a similar story. I, I, I we didn't. Uh, nobody brought their guns to school, but I got a job right out of high school working at the video store behind which people would hunt because there were just some woods behind the video store. And every mm-hmm. now and then, when I'd go out and have a cigarette, because I used to smoke. Go out and have a cigarette, and I'd see people traipsing around, fucking shooting at deer. Yeah, and I will, I mean, we'll, we can get into the parsing our feelings about guns, if that's in any way germane. But I feel like I I grew up in a house full of guns, full of sh- shotguns, mm-hmm. and handguns terrify me. It's like a t- they almost like completely different things to me in my mind. Sure. So... Speaking of guns, bang. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. On the other side of this parking lot, 10 feet away, right. Trina McGee has been shot. Josie slash Angela from Boy Meets World slash Trina McGee slash the girl who had a gun who wasn't Tony has been shot over her shoes. Yeah. Um, it's just a wound on the arm and she's conscious. And so we're not afraid she's going to die. Like that doesn't seem to enter the anyone's conversation. But... Cherry is holding her and crying, and all the students are running away, but Laura's running toward her friends, yeah. and Steve is screaming, someone call 911, and suddenly it's like Blair Witch style. It's again, we go to handheld, and it's like, what are we, what's happening? The problem here is, it looks like it's the same quality and shakiness of like your modern phone videos, so it's, right. it's always like, oh, what, what's happened here? I also wondered, truly... Because we don't see the altercation, we don't hear anything, and we're super close. Like yeah. we don't hear raised voices. We, hear we don't somebody see yell, any of the hey, characters. Don't and then gunshots. I truly thought maybe her gun fell out of her pants. I thought that was the case too. <laughs> I was like, I, it was this so... is going to be about don't carry a gun because you don't actually know how to use a gun. Like while it was going down, and they go over there and they show that she's shot in the arm. I'm like, how did she shoot herself in the arm? <laughs> yes, like, yes. I was like, because we she... don't see the altercation or no. even hear it, and but we're given to believe later that this was over her sneakers and it was Tony and those girls. Um, Also worth noting, if we're going to teach anybody about anything in this episode, you never say someone called 911. You point to a specific person and you say you call 911. Otherwise, everyone will assume that somebody else dialed 911 and 911 will never get called. No, that would be bad. So this this episode aired... sound effect for that? Andy's helpful tip sound effect. Come on. Uh, you don't need to make that. It's never going to happen again. <laughs> never going to happen again. Um, so this is this episode airs a full four years before Columbine, three mm. years before Jonesboro. In a way, in a way, now hear me out. It almost feels quaint. I, I wrote the same thing and then felt bad about writing it. It almost feels quaint to think of gun violence in schools in this way. That it's person to person. It's over a physical object. Yeah. It's avoidable, meaning if I give you my object, you won't shoot me with your gun. That it involves criminal children. Yes, as opposed to what we deal with so frequently and heartbreakingly now, which is just massacres that happen without warning and seem to have no motive beyond destruction of life. Sure. Like, that has become the reality for kids in high schools now. It almost seems looking back on this to be like, I'm going to go to hell for this, but like an adorable well, I way mean, to think about no, how, no, I, how again, gun, guns in schools would go. Yeah, I, it's just it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, in Chicago, which has the one of the highest murder per capita rates in the United States, 
One of the issues is school shootings and shootings over property are now completely separate entities. Yes. So, like, the idea of, like, oh, you got to worry about it at school. Yeah, but not, like, this low-key. Yeah, (laughs) no. It's not this. It's more serious than this episode is making it. And also, you know, with people, and I'm I'm sure this is conflated by the media more than it is uh, an actual solution uh, that's being proposed the idea of like well what we need is more guns in schools to protect our kids yeah from arm with the guns. teachers arm the yeah, yeah it's like this isn't this isn't even addressing all of the issues anymore it's no. just, yeah you're right it you know what i'll i'll say this is a quaint episode in comparison to how bad gun violence has gotten yeah the horror that is reality now yeah um one person getting shot one time over is suddenly and it's sad that's yeah. sad that it's it's it's, quaint. it's it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Also, you might think, getting back to the hero's journey, that get someone getting shot is the climax of the episode. But no, we are only now approaching the inmost cave. I may not come out alive, but I'm going in there. I'm going in most there. I'm going in most there. So the remember the journey we're on is as a family, how do we feel safe again in our community? Right. So now we're back at the Winslow home late that night. Harriet and Carl are discussing how scared they are. For their daughter, she's asleep upstairs. Urkel, nowhere to be seen. They're talking and Carl says, as a cop, I deal with this kind of thing every day, but it doesn't hit home until it happens to your own child. Mm. And Harriet says, I can't believe Laura considered buying a gun, which must mean that she told them, like, I was actually considering this. And Carl says, can you imagine how scared she must have been to even consider it? And then Harriet's like, yeah, kids today have a lot more to worry about than when we were growing up. And then she says that Josie's mom is thinking they're going to move the family away. So that's why we never see Josie again in another episode because they yeah, moved, moved away. moved to Philadelphia where she starts dating Sean. Yeah. But then Harriet's... So this is like a little bit of the preachy part because Harriet's like, no one's going to drive me out of my home. We're not moving. That's not the answer. And Carl says, there's no point. It's happening everywhere. And I was like, oh, shit. Yikes. That got real dark. Yeah. They say they don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do something. So that's all the inmost cave. Like, what can we do? We have to do something. Yeah. Cut to the supreme ordeal. Out of my way, beast. Brought to you by Skeletor. <laughs> Uh, again, back in our Vanderbilt High School set, because we're going to get our fucking money's worth out of this high school parking lot set. Yep. Uh, we've got a radio DJ, mm-hmm. perhaps the most annoying form. See, I feel about radio DJs the way you feel about magicians, I think. Well, that's unfair to radio DJs. Punch him in the face. <laughs> I used to be one, so I can say that. Fair. Radio DJ is on the mic doing a remote. He tells us that the school and I'm guessing the Winslow family and the police have all organized a turn-in-your-gun event with free food and, and these radio tunes. There will be no questions asked. Turn in your gun and save a life. Also, you don't get anything for turning in your gun. Well, this is a kind of a gonna... gun buyback where there's no buying. Yeah, that they they this might have been a thing they did once upon a time. Now it's like, no. Well, actually, this is the only thing I did research about. Oh, yeah. Because I was like, how do I talk about gun violence? Like, how on earth do I scratch the surface of this? And what I yeah. landed on is... Are gun buybacks effective? That's the only thing that I could figure let's, out how to hone in on. Let's talk about that now before we get into how this gun buyback is not effective. So what's happening is that they have a plastic bin, you know, like you would a single put, plastic put shit in, in your garage. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> a container for all of the guns. For guns. And they're just like, they have set up this event where... Kids are supposed to just come give their guns. Shit ton of cops around to make everybody feel yeah, good Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no questions asked, except sure. that they're going to know exactly who you are and what kind of a gun yeah, you have. exactly. Gun buybacks are still, they still happen. The LAPD actually has a gun drive annually. Sure. Every year since 2009. The, these events are held at designated locations. They're considered neutral. They pick a place that's like neutral ground between gangs sure. to have them. And they are supposed to be places where the public can safely surrender weapons to law enforcement, usually in exchange for um, a gift card or money in the amount of the value of the gun. See, there you go. Uh, I feel like that's the only way to do this. Yes. And then the guns are inspected, taken apart, and melted down into basically like at a foundry into like washing machine parts, etc. Sure. They're still going on and they've been happening since the 60s. So you would think that they would work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, 
the effectiveness of such programs has long been in doubt. Oh. Buybacks take no more than 1% or 2% of the guns out of a given community. They're more of a symbolic way of taking action. Sure. Because what usually happens is people show up with old guns that don't work anymore. Oh. They show up with hunting rifles. Sure. They are not turning in the weapons the police really want. They're not turning in handguns, which is what's mostly used to commit crimes. Yeah. They're not turning in assault rifles. Huh. They, they're just trying to get cash for broken guns. Or they'll take someone else's gun to turn in, but not one that they're planning on using. Sure. Um, also, you're not going to turn in a gun that you've used to do a thing. Right. Also, to this, the police. This, uh, this, person, this expert they're interviewing, William Woodward, from um, this uh, pro- crime prevention organization, says that people have emotional stakes in their weapons, and they won't. Sure. Uh, and if you have an emotional stake in a weapon, you're not going to turn it over at any price. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense now that we're talking it through. Yeah. yeah. Not- a Harvard University study in the mid 90s concluded buybacks are largely ineffective in reducing gun violence. They are listed in the category of what doesn't work in terms of violence prevention strategies. People feel more safe. But it's really just more symbolic than anything. Sure. Although you'll see them pop up like after Sandy Hook, there were a bunch of them. After yeah. Newtown, there were a bunch of them. People do it because it makes them feel safer. Right. But actually, in terms of getting guns off the street, it doesn't work without legislation. Gotcha. So the, a very effective gun buyback happened in... Australia in 1996 there was a mass shooting in which 35 people were killed 23 wounded in Tasmania and the Australian government outlawed semi-automatic weapons and then bought them back and so they were able to get back a bunch of weapons but that was like hand in hand with legislation and there hasn't been a mass shooting in Australia since then Hmm. weird it is strange um but what about countries like germany and england where there aren't any handguns and they're still really low gun shooting rate well it's almost like those statistics coincide with results what Um, is that what is hold on i gotta look this up so this is this is the only thing i could think this was like the corner of the gun violence debate that i felt like i could bring into this episode without trying to cover the whole thing yeah is because this this is what the writers are ostensibly telling you you should do organize a gun drive you know this is the solution the family comes up with and we know from statistics and from you know 50 years of trying trying this method mm-hmm. that this really doesn't no. get guns off the street one of my favorite onion article headlines is no way to prevent this says only nation where this regularly happens yes oh it hurts because it's true so, like how much do we want to get into thoughts about uh, gun violence and regulation i don't feel authorized to speak very deeply on it other than what we've already said and also our state gun laws are only as strong as our weakest state gun law. And so federal overhaul of the gun laws is where things need to happen. Because like people True. point out, oh, there's so many murders in Chicago and, and Chicago has firearm bans. So see, that doesn't prevent anything. And it's like, right. yeah, because people drive in from Indiana and Michigan, which have very lax state gun laws. Yeah. So like as long as we don't pass anything on a federal level, nothing's really going to change. Right. It's super complicated. And I, I used to think I had my, my whole mind made up about this. And somebody that I've come back to for political opinions far too often, Killer Mike, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Render of Run the Jewels and his own rap fame, went uh, went on a couple of interviews. He got in trouble for some of them for you know because reactionary right. reactions, but pointed out that when making gun laws, the one problem with complete overhaul and an emotional reaction is that gun laws will affect minorities and specifically blacks the most. Like there, there are ways of targeting uh, minorities through these gun laws. Mm. And that's a problematic factor in, mm-hmm. in trying to figure these things out. Cause you know, th- these things, uh, um, mass shootings happen and, and people are like, well, take away all the guns. And it's like, that's, that's reactionary laws often get mishandled in a way that benefits you know, the corruption of any community. So no one is turning in guns, weirdly. Yeah, it's a completely empty bin. There's no incentive, and yet no one's turning in guns. We tried nothing, and we're all out of ideas. And then Eddie goes, aren't these things usually successful? And Carl (laughs) Carl says, yeah, because people usually get something. It's like Carl knows 
how this works. And well, then, well, didn't yes. he fucking set this up? He says, we're hoping people will just realize it's the right thing to oh. do. And I, and I wrote, this is doomed. Yeah, this is real <laughs> this doomed. Is so doomed. And, and to drive the point home, we oh, get God. in his first on-screen debut. His very first on-screen Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr., who is credited as... Tough guy. Yeah, that's the last time I'll be credited as that. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. shows up. But then up. again, he's also credited in Sixpence None the Richer's uh, the video as a guest. <laughs> this is his first on Prince on Prince on screen appearance. Uh-huh. Um, on screen appearance, Prince. He says to Laura, "What do I get for turning in this gun? A gun." Not this gun. He doesn't have one on him. That we can <laughs> doesn't see. just wave it around. He says, what do I get for turning in a All gun? All these guns. Money, uh. concert tickets. Laura's like, you get your life, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. If I got a gun, I'm not really interested in that. Right. And then he walks away. Bye, Freddy. Bye. I'll see you next summer. Do you? Or I'll see you, you last summer. I'll see you last summer in two years. Yeah. Two years after this appearance, he's going to be a major heartthrob. It's real weird. I wonder that sometimes about actors in these sitcoms if they if they look back because like so this is they've done a they do 215 episodes of this show or whatever Mm -hmm. and at the time jaleel white is like the most famous person in tv maybe at least in the top five most famous people in tv sure and i wonder if you ever on the one day freddie prince jr is on set in this moment and we have this exchange of four lines and he walks away and then two years later, he's a movie star, which yeah. in the 90s is like a rung above a TV star. Yeah. If there's a, if they ever look back and they're like, oh, yeah, of all the extras that I have interacted with, 215 episodes, that guy had something. You know, like, I wonder if they can even. It's weird. It, you know, I think that once you see somebody in a, in a, a, a famous role, you reframe it in your mind. Yeah, probably yeah, they so. did have the, they had the goods the entire time. Yeah. I wonder about that sometimes. I think there's definitely an energy and a confidence to people who do end up succeeding, but yeah. Yeah. If you could tell. So anyway, Freddie Prinze Jr. does not turn in a gun. And I don't, also, I do not see that X factor in his performance here. Also, he's going to be in the Punky Brewster reboot. Oh, all right. And when I went to his IMDb to see if this was, in fact, his first appearance, and it was, Mm -hmm. his next upcoming role is in the Punky Brewster reboot. Maybe he'll play, he'll reprise his role of tough guy. (laughs) Maybe he'll play Alice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not good enough to be good for nothing. No. Yeah, yeah, don't worry, though, because this is going really badly, and this is the supreme ordeal, and we're losing. Don't worry, Steve Urkel's going to save the day by rapping about turning in your guns. I looked up this rap right before we started rolling, uh, recording today, and it is the laziest piece of shit Everyone is rap so song. into it. Oh, my God, everyone is so into it. Is. It is. Two bars. <laughs> And those bars are shit. He says, you know, turn in your guns. It'll be fun. Turn in a knife. It'll save your life. Yeah. And then he just goes, ho. And everybody's like, I guess that's fine, Steve Urkel. (laughs) He's got a megaphone. And then he goes back into his box where he can recharge. Reward consequences. A little kid drags an older kid with a very long, gross ponytail over to the (laughs) table. And without saying a word, and with everyone watching, including 40 cops, the little kid makes the older kid turn in his gun. Laura and Steve smile at each other. The studio audience claps. The stage goes dark, and I'm guessing the cops follow that guy back to his car and yeah. ask him a few questions. Sure. It's the only thing they've got to do today is follow that guy around. It's it's miserable. That's it. That's the end of the episode. Oh. I really, I had wholeheartedly expected there to be a PSA at the end of this. There is. There is. Oh, there's definitely oh, a PSA. I didn't fucking see it. Do you want to watch it real quick? I do. Well, all right. So I just looked up the, the PSA. Sorry, um, uh, Why doesn't Laura point the cops toward the teenage arms dealer? How about that? How about squash him? Uh, first thing I, I found out is that season six, episode 24 of Family Matters mm-hmm. is entitled, They Shoot Urkels, Don't They? Oh, my God. What is the fucking deal? <laughs> Go watch They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And then immediately forget about it like everybody should. It's a great movie, but why are we still? Why? Why are we still? Because teens love it. Why are we still doing it? So, yes. So, it, it does end uh, on a PSA that was kind of the version that I watched. Yeah, it's on Hulu. If you, um, you can tell it's going to be Jaleel White and not Steve Urkel talking to you Ain't because no he's glasses. not wearing glasses. And no he's sitting suspenders. on the table, which is the international posture of cool pioneered by Kirk Cameron. It, it's the same sort of thing. And it is as jarring as it was with the Kirk Cameron where everybody's just like talking and rapping and having a good time. And then all of a sudden it's like, 
they all look at you. 50 kids staring down the barrel of the camera. And I'm like, no. Kelly Williams and Jaleel White are talking. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is right between them in the back. You can just stare at his face the entire time. If you like. And they tell the kids at home that every day students carry guns to class. And if that's happening at your school, you have to say something and not ignore it. And also, if you're in a confrontation, just walk away. Before guns come into the picture, squash it. And then 50 extras behind them say, squash it, which comes with a um, hand gesture. They slap your open palm of your left hand on a closed fist. fist. Mm -mm. It's like it's a T, like a timeout. I looked it up. It's the opposite of starting rock, paper, scissors. Yes. So I never heard of this squash it thing so i had to look up if it was a true campaign oh i'm very interested to hear about this uh it was an actual campaign (laughs) okay did it work did they squash well here's the thing okay in 1994 the center for health communication launched squash it to prevent youth violence squash it is a phrase used by inner city youth in such urban areas as new york city los angeles boston blah 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 And the Squash It campaign had two objectives, to use the phrase and an accompanying hand gesture to promote the social norm that says it's cool and smart to walk away from violence. Sure. And two, to mobilize public support for programs that offer young people positive alternatives to violence. The hand gesture, a stylized T based on the timeout signal in sports, is formed by bringing the palm of a flat hand down in a ver- onto a vertical clenched fist. Mm. So... They, the, according to the website that I was reading, which is the website of the people that made the campaign, so maybe not entirely objective, right. it achieved its greatest success among African-American teenagers, which was the, one of the campaign's primary target groups. In a 1997 national survey, approximately 72% of African-American teenagers were aware of the campaign, <laughs> and 60% had used the phrase squash it to disengage from potentially violent confrontations. Oh, I don't- These findings document the campaign's success in influencing the interpersonal interactions of African-American teenagers nationwide as reflected in the increased usage of Squash It. Me, Squashy McSquashington, (laughs) I made this up. Uh, But a big part of the the big part of the strategy was to like do a media bombardment, like get this. Just like they wanted it to be the next Just Say No or something. It doesn't really fit in this episode, does it? Because there's there's no physical it's it's a robbery, yeah. Like we're not I I you know I defy you next time you're getting <laughs> mugged to be like hey let's squash this mugger right exactly. She wasn't mugged with the gun right. She just found out about the gun about the gun after. Yeah, she we was didn't mugged. mention this, but the second time Tony shows up, the time she flashes the gun, she says she's threatening Laura not to testify against her. Then Laura, to her credit, did not say hey squash it. No, she didn't. Which would have um, worked. So Squash It was an actual campaign in, yeah, I guess they think it was moderately successful. Okay. At least in terms of the goal of having people hear about it's, it. It's tough to, you know, you know the, the you people who designed it measure things that, that didn't occur. Good. Yeah. 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 Um, it did great, says people who need it to do great. Right. So that's really, I mean, in terms of what we can take away from this episode, I don't, I mean, I guess we're supposed to learn... To squash it? It's it's a little muddled. I feel like they were like, we're doing a gun episode, and the squash it people were like, could you say squash it for us? <laughs> oh, there's also a moment, I think, when Cherry's holding Josie, who's bleeding out. Mm-hmm. She says, she should have just given him the shoes. Yeah. So we get that piece of advice reiterated. Like, if someone wants to rob you, just give them what they want yeah. instead of escalating it to violence. We got another thing where too many messages, too much Urkel, not enough time. Yeah. Yeah. To their credit, there is no B or C storyline here, at least. To their credit. At least, uh, at least at it's l- just a cold open that means nothing. You wonder, sometimes I wonder, if they just shut all the cold opens for the whole season, and then it was sure. like a pick out of a bag, which well, one we're going to stick on the front of an episode. That's what they did in in retconning the, the first season, was Urkel's introduced in like episode nine, and then they reshot for syndication... Episode like five, they reshot a cold open with Steve Urkel in it. Great, just so to get make a him Urkel sooner. Yeah, so hold on, people, you Urkel don't drunk. have to worry about Urkel. He'll be here soon. <laughs> I tuned into the pilot, and there was no Urkel. We'll fix that. Ugh. Urkel's now in the background of every shot. It's George Lucas presents <laughs> Family Matters Special Edition. Uh, you're gonna want to know what I learned in this episode. I would love to know what you learned. I learned. Nothing about uh, other than like you know the the gun buyback stuff that we talked about here. I learned 
Waldo, I learned his last name. <gasps> Popinski. Something super Polish. Mm-mm. Faldo. Hey, Chelsea, you know what else I learned? What? Waldo Faldo's middle name? Geraldo. <laughs> <laughs> Waldo Geraldo Faldo. <laughs> Is this like Gary, Larry, Jerry, Gergich, Gingich? Yeah, it might as well be. Oh my God, Waldo. The, somebody, somebody got a raise for that. Hey, Waldo's funny. You know what else? Funny things sound like Waldo. Faldo is not a name. Waldo Geraldo is kind of funny. Like if that were his first and last name, Waldo Geraldo, that's I think so pretty too. funny. But the Faldo just makes it, now we're just nursery rhyming. Well, there is an English professional golfer named Nick Faldo, so I guess you must feel pretty stupid. No, I still feel smarter <laughs> than the writer who came up with Waldo Geraldo Faldo. <laughs> you laughed at it. So I'm just saying... Did also, I Nick Faldo has been knighted. He is Sir Nick Faldo. Sir Nicholas Faldo. <laughs> I am Sir Nicholas Faldo. I don't, I mean, I learned that Squash It was an actual campaign that I missed somehow I didn't know in that the either. 90s. Yeah, I had no Just idea. Just missed it. I fucking, I grew up in, you know, Fancy Gap. We didn't need to squash nothing. <laughs> yeah, so that was, the, who did you want to hug? Well, you know, uh, Trina McGee. True. In part because she does have the two names that I think are funny fake names all mushed together. I think Trina's the funniest fake first name. I think McGee's the funniest fake last name. Yep. And she is embodying both of them. So you want to hug the actor? Uh, I mostly want to hug her name. Her, hug her name. Her, yeah. her middle name might be Geraldo, too. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. In thinking about the question of who I want to hug, the obvious answer for me would be Laura. Except... Mm-hmm. This got a little deeper for me because I realized, you know, when you're writing as a writer, Mm -hmm. I do know that a piece of advice that someone once gave me that I have given to other people is that characters, you know, who characters are by what they do, not what they say about themselves or what other people say about them. Mm -hmm. So Laura, everyone, this whole episode is like, Laura is terrified. Think of how scared she must have been to consider buying a gun. Poor Laura. Laura is just fucking annoyed through this entire episode. Yeah, that is problematic. She doesn't have a single moment of like, she doesn't seem ever scared. She doesn't seem ever worried. We hear that she is. I assume she's acting scared off screen somewhere. But I I just realized like, oh, this actor plays the same note the entire episode where she's threatened with a gun, which well, is, I am annoyed. Well, to be fair, that is what her character is doing the, the rest of the time. It's, but it's, part of me is like, this would be this could be a good episode for you to do one other kind of emotion. And then I would want to hug you because it seems like I should want to hug you. But mostly you seem like you might shove me if I tried to hug you. Oh, you know who I want to hug? Fuck a, a fucking Latin club kid. Oh, yeah. He didn't do nothing. And no. somebody tried to steal his chips. Yeah, he got him back, though. He probably late to Latin club. Mm-hmm. And he got frisked. Yeah, by, by a Urkel. nerd. Yeah. Uh-uh. Frisked by a Urkel. It's the... It's the Spiritual successor to Touch by an Angel. <laughs> it's not spiritual at all. <laughs> no. Very cool. Would you show this to people who wanted to know about gun violence? Zero percent chance. See, no. Zero. Like, what would you show it to somebody? How? What message are you giving people incorrect information it's on? It's not in the even first anti-bullying. Place? It's not because again, criminal activity. Right. Uh, and, like, threatening a witness and things like that. This is serious charges. Yeah, like, why did you, why did it get this complicated in this format? Yeah, why don't they tussle with Laura? Like, why isn't the robbery when the gun happens? Like, that's, that's when you get traumatized. Not yeah. somebody Like, when somebody holds a gun on you and you have to give up your property, that's fucked up. Right. And I mean, then you have you have that whole episode of Laura dealing with that instead of like, oh, I saw a gun. Yeah. And, you know, I got threatened, but I've already been through this even more traumatic experience where I got beat up by three people. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's, not, it's again, and anytime. The more I try to solve it mentally, the more tangled it becomes. Sure. And anytime you try to figure out why. Anytime you ask the question why in Family Matters, the answer is because Urkel. Because Urkel. I grew up a a little bit before this current epidemic of school shootings. Mm -hmm. It was not a thing that I worried about at school. Um, It's not a thing that I... uh, I don't have kids currently at school, so it's not a thing that I 
think I can speak about it in that way either. Right. But I would refer you to our friend of the pod and previous guest, Mary Hollison Bowden's excellent op-ed in oh, the New sure. York Times about having lived through gun violence at school and 20 years later reflecting back on that. And um, We talked about it when she guested on the podcast that episode, and For we sure. linked to it then, and I'll link to it again, just in terms of a first-person take. Yeah. Um, that's all I can offer. I can't really... Yes, yeah, offer any personal I, I expertise. I ain't got it. I ain't got the expertise myself. Yeah. Yep. All right. So next time we'll watch something else. How about that? Yeah, we'll watch something else. We'll <laughs> eat a different sugar-free snack. Uh, It'll be great. Don't remind me. All right. We'll see you next time, folks. Bring sugar-free snacks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks. Mm-hmm.